Let us pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We all think about breath these days. We all know shortness of breath is a symptom of COVID-19. We've read the symptoms over and over again, leading us to self-examine each throat clearing, each sporadic cough, each tiny tickle in our throats. Some of us are testing our breath by holding it for 10 seconds. Because someone posted somewhere online this way of self-diagnosing serious COVID-19. But like much of what we read right now on social media, the results of this practice are false. Holding our breath for 10 seconds does not tell us what we want to know. It does not make us safe for one more day. This seemingly silly habit, however, may do something else for us. It may force us to exhale because we are holding our breath. Holding breath is human. We unknowingly hold our breath during times of high stress. We hold our breath during grief. We hold our breath if forced to freeze during near-death experiences. We hold our breath in the aftermath of trauma and when we are afraid. Right now, I suspect many of us catch ourselves holding our breath because we are grieving the loss of freedom and community fearing who this disease will take from us, freezing our breath as a way to survive this pandemic. In our Old Testament reading for today, we hear a lot about breath. We hear about a people living in a time of great tumult and confusion. Ezekiel and most of his people were forcibly exiled. They lived in a foreign land under the dominion of foreign rule. They grieved loved ones left behind, mourned those lost to starvation, disease, and violent death, pined for a home with its familiar landscape, roads, and buildings, held back tears knowing the center of their Jewish faith, the temple in Jerusalem, had been destroyed by their enemies. No doubt like today, there were other people prophesying in Ezekiel's time, not on social media feeds, but loud voices in the square or at the gate or in the marketplace spreading both good and bad information, tips for survival, predictions for the future, new gods promising some form of salvation, 
a multitude of voices speaking to a people dislocated and disconnected, a people holding their breath, because God seemed to be absent. But Ezekiel, a prophet called by God to speak on God's behalf, receives a vision. And in this vision, he feels something, a strong hand steering him or pushing him somewhere. And with spirit, spirit capable of movement, like a blowing wind or a heart-pumping breath, God's hand and spirit moves Ezekiel into a valley. And the valley is full of bones. Once in the valley, God calls Ezekiel to act on God's behalf. My fellow seminarian, David, is also a medical doctor. Last week, he shared in our online preaching class how he was taught to read an x-ray. David learned to look at an image, often of bones, by seeing what was not there as well as what was. He was taught to take in the whole picture by contemplating the spaces between the images. By doing so, he saw not just one thing, but an entire sight. Not just a broken bone, but everything around it. In the beginning of this vision, it is easy to focus on one thing, the bones, the dry, seemingly dead bones, the very many dry, dead bones lying in the valley. But God leads Ezekiel into the middle of this place, a place we are told is down, as valleys are. But from what? What we don't see in this valley is what it is surrounded by. Is it mountains, hills, rivers, buildings, capturers, disease? We don't know. But in order to be a valley, there must be something seen or unseen surrounding the area. And from the middle of this valley, Ezekiel can see what it is. Then there are the bones. What is in between the bones in this valley? The text doesn't tell us. We must look again like my friend David. Look at the spaces between the images, between the bones, in order to better understand. In doing so, we can say in the beginning of this vision, there's no sound in this valley. There's no movement in this valley except for God leading Ezekiel all around them. Then a voice is heard in the valley, the voice of God asking Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel does not know. But God does. God does not answer, yes, these bones can live. Instead, God commands Ezekiel to act 
prophesy to these bones. Talk to the bones. Talk to the dry, lifeless bones. God speaks through Ezekiel to the bones, saying, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. Now the valley, once empty except for bones, fills with breath. Ruach is the Hebrew word used here. Ruach having, like many Hebrew words, multiple meanings. Ruach meaning breath, or wind, or spirit. The meaning always depending on the context in which the word appears. Ruach is also the same word used in the first creation story found in the book of Genesis. The earth was a formless void, and the darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Perhaps now in the valley, the same wind from God whistled as the bones filled with breath. Perhaps the breath pulsed the blood back into these bones, and the blood helped form a covering for the bones of sinew and flesh and skin. Now what do we see in the valley? We no longer see just bones. We see Ezekiel and bones covered in sinew and flesh and skin. And we can feel something stirring. The bones dressed in their new coverings begin to move. They rattle. They clank as wind causes the bones to come together. But connection is not enough. God is not done with Ezekiel or with these noisy bones. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. First Ezekiel spoke to the silent bones. Now he speaks to the breath. He speaks to something which has force, creative force life-giving force. Ezekiel says, I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. What does an entire valley of bones standing up sound like? Can you hear the rustling? Can your skin feel the wind caused by all this movement? Can you envision the small child bones jumping up and the tiny bones of infants rising in the arms of fully grown bones and the old bones helping other old bones get up with creaks and cracks? Can you see these bones come alive, breathing instead of holding their breath, cheering instead of silent, moving instead of frozen. And can you hear God say, Oh, my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Not in this valley, but on your own soil. My friends, we live in a valley. Not dried up, but not life as we knew it two weeks ago. Not surrounded by capturers, 
but by a disease, a disease with a name, forcing us to live now in the largest valley ever known to us, the world, the entire world. And in this valley, no one wants any deaths, but deaths have occurred. No one wants any more deaths, but we know this possibility happens daily. None of us want this disease to impact any of our friends, family, and loved ones, but chances are every one of you listening is already thinking about or praying for someone who is quarantined because of symptoms or exposure. No one wants this disease to keep spreading, but every day, multiple times per day, we watch the numbers rise. No one wants the shortage of ventilators to continue. No one wants any medical doctor anywhere to be forced to decide who lives and who dies. Yet in this valley, these are our realities. So our valley fills day in and day out with worry, anxiety, and despair. And many of us hold our breath, waiting for the day we can leave this valley. But my friends, here is the good news. God is here in this valley with us. Maybe we can't see God as we focus on the images we see on our screens or between the words we read on our favorite news source, or in our nervous energy, or in our deep, deep sadness. But if we stand back just a little ways from what we first see in this mess, if we focus on what we cannot see or seems to not be there, just like when we looked into the valley of Ezekiel's vision, we can begin to hear something. A small bit of wind rattling our stay-at-home windows. A catch of a moment when we realize we are humming. A deep sigh escaping from our lips after holding our breath way too long. God's breath, wind, spirit. God's creative and life-giving ruach is with us because our God is promise. The promise of always being with us. As Christians, we tend to go right to the word Emmanuel, meaning God with us, told in our beloved story of a baby being born in a stable and laid in a manger. But God, even before Jesus was born, was with us always showing up for God's people in the oddest ways, in burning bushes, manna falling from the sky, water sprouting from desert rocks, and in dry bones coming together on a wind and with a great rattling. God's Ruach now, today, allows us to stand up in this valley. God's breath moves us from holding our breath to breathing. Breathing in God's spirit as an act of prayer, 
as an act of coming together while forced apart, breathing in what is good about this day that the Lord has made, and breathing out all that confuses us, and breathing in God's presence, and breathing out our isolation, and breathing in our hope now and in years to come, and breathing out despair. Yes, in our story today, we are the dry bones lying on the valley floor. But friends, we can also be Ezekiel, doing God's work with our hands, doing our part to flatten this dangerous curb of infection, doing God's work every time we stand six feet away, every time we wash our hands for 20 seconds, every time we voluntarily choose to stay home instead of being social, every time we use our cell phones to check in on each other, every time we share our resources with other people, every time we do not overbuy, every time we pray for the world, the church, and all those in need. And every time those of you who are medical saints go into work or choose to come out of retirement, and those of you who are teachers teaching online or grocery store employees providing senior-only hours and custodians cleaning and cleaning and cleaning, or the many more of you doing necessary and essential work right now. You work for God's greater good for all people. And when we do come back to our own soil, when we come together here in this place, whenever that great day will be, there will be the greatest of rattlings. The noise out in the narthex as we greet each other will be so loud, our toddlers will cover their ears. And downstairs, the pots and pans will clang and bang in our kitchen, while cooking smells for a delicious fellowship feast will make our stomachs gurgle and growl. Up here, Deacon Pam will try again and again to move us into the sanctuary and quiet us down for worship. And when we do worship together again, here, we will make the loudest joyful noise to the Lord this place has ever heard. We will rattle the rafters with our praises and we will shake these stained glass windows. And we will breathe, listening to God's word together. And we will eat, sharing in God's holy meal of grace together. Together we will thank God for bringing us out of the valley. Together we will thank God for placing us once again on our own soil. Together, we will thank God for renewed life for all people everywhere. And after we have feasted on God's grace here and shared food in fellowship downstairs, 
We will leave this place. This time knowing we will be back soon. This time breathing instead of holding our breath. This time carrying something with us. Twelve huge baskets. Twelve huge baskets full of food from our feast to share with our neighbors still in need. Being once again a community gathered by God's grace and scattered for God's service. Amen.